When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I know, you know, we're talking about explosives. It's not, and, and that's how it works in this sort of offense. It's not some magic trick play that you schemed up. It's not this great pass concept you dreamed up because you're such a smart coach. It's because we are able to play fast and run power. You know, it's, it's those basic plays that become the explosives. And, and our guys are bought into that part of it. So, oh, it's not like, oh, man, I really hope coach is smart enough to out-scheme these guys. I can guarantee you I am not. We just have a buy-in within our culture to, to play fast and, and to be physical. Well, we continue to talk about top-performing offenses from around the country, and joining me today is the offensive coordinator at the University of Wisconsin-River Falls, Joe Matheson. Joe, it's great to have you here on the podcast. Yeah, Keith, I really appreciate you having me on. You know, I was telling you, I've been a long-time listener. I've stolen a lot of things off this podcast, so I'm hoping I can have maybe one or two things that help someone. <laughs> well, definitely, I'm sure you will. I, I can tell you, everybody does. It's one of those things that if there's one thing you can take away, then it's worth your while. And I know coaches tell me all the time that there's there's a lot of takeaways from these. So uh, we're going to get into your top-performing offense. Uh, you guys were number two in the nation in total offense in 2021 in Division Three at 400, I'm sorry, 544.3 yards per game. You also put up uh, 43.4 points per game. A pretty balanced offense. 297 on the ground. 240. I'm sorry. 246 on the ground. 297 in the air. And in your time there at River Falls, you guys have lit up the record books too, and and set some marks in there. So we're going to get into all of that, but we're going to talk a little bit about your background, coach. And I know before we got going, I was ex- excited to learn that you've been a part of, of Coach Jerry Kill's program. I, I think he's you know one of the best in the game. Still, and uh, certainly, you, I'm sure you have some influences there. But you know, going back to the beginning for you, what was it that made you want to get into this profession and become a coach? Yeah, no, no doubt. So, I, you know, I was born and raised in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And even though my family wasn't, you know, a bunch of Packer fans, they're actually from down south. Football is important in that community, really, at all the levels. So, being in a blue collar town, having a passion for the game, and then being really competitive, I was naturally attracted to the, to the profession. But really what cemented my interest in, in why I still do it is just that, that influence you can have and hopefully a positive one, right, in coaching where you can provide guys with a, a tool set or a skill set outside of the game to be successful. So that's why I got into it. In looking back at your development as a coach and, again, your mentors in this game, what are some of those lessons early on that you learned that you feel were really important to your development as a coach and when you look at it really are a big part of who you are today yeah I kind of think of it in terms of my three different stops at three different levels in coaching so that first stop at the division one level the big 10 level I had a chance to to work with coach kill under that staff and you know starting it doing the laundry 
and, and you're at the highest level and, and you get to go to all these great venues and you with all these great coaches, but it really teaches you, hey, are you willing to make copies? Are you willing to get the equipment out? Are you willing to wait till the game plan's done to print those things and get them on everyone's desk? You know, what does it take to build a true football program at the highest level? And, and I think in the end, my biggest takeaway from my experience at the University of Minnesota when Coach Kill is there is just the values he had as a man and as a coach. Those are the things, you know, and really that entire staff. It was a fantastic staff they had there that came up from Southern Illinois, Northern Illinois. But then again, at Minnesota, just taking those values with me to my next stop at Southwest Minnesota State at Division Two level. And at that stop, it was more about the football, the X's and the O's, and really cutting my teeth in recruiting for the first time and understanding what it's like to be on the road, how to be a professional. And then, you know, I was GAing there, GAing there at the time and, and graduated and made my way back over to Wisconsin, where I'm from, to uh, University of Wisconsin River Falls, really just a half hour from the Twin Cities. And then, you know, what is my philosophy as a coach, just having that conviction in what we're doing and then leading people to meaningful results. So that development of, okay, you learn these things at those first couple stops. Can you implement it and be successful in a meaningful way? For what you would do after that with those ideas, with those philosophies, how did you, you got that opportunity. How did you make those come alive? And, and, and obviously you've, you've had success. You're, you're leading an offense now and one of the best in the country in 2021. That transition from where you were learning to now you have to apply it. What things helped you be successful in that transition? Yeah, no, it's an interesting thought because in, in it's clinic season, right? Right now for us. So we're, we're going to go to the AFCA. We're going to hear really good coaches speak, you know, different levels, different personnel. How can you bring it back home to yourself? So taking that next step for me, something I, I talk about a lot or something I'm passionate about is, okay, maybe you're not the best offense out there. But can you be great at something? And, and for us, you know, I started working as a wide receivers coach. And we wanted to be great at perimeter blocking because we felt if we were going to start jumping into this tempo RPO world, we needed to develop a toughness and the ability, you know, we need to spread the football out. Otherwise, we're going to be unsound in the run game. So can we be great at perimeter blocking? So just that one, honestly, that's what we built it off of. Just that one thing. Can we have some pride and toughness? in one aspect of our game and build off of that because it can be overwhelming at times. If you're not having success, you're not doing well. What, how can you bring it all home and focus and hone in on something to take that next step? Well, I want to dig into some of that perimeter blocking as, as we get more into the details of it, but let's start big picture with your offense and just starting with your philosophy that really builds it. What are, what are the things that are foundational to your offense philosophically? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we call ourselves the top gun offense. I'll start there. We're hurry up, no huddle. So top gun offense, we go fast. We're trying to get that thing snapped as many times as we can. We're ultra fast. And, you know, some guys talk about we have the ability to change tempos. You know, we're a multiple tempo team. We, of course, have that ability, but it's really not who we are. We're we're foundationally a fast team. The next thing is we're ultra competitive. So hopefully if we're doing the right things and we're efficient, we're going to snap it a lot of times. So yeah, you want to be competitive against the teams you're playing, but our guys are competitive. 
within our own team and within our own unit because if you're going to snap it, you know, we snapped it 117 times against Washington in that bowl game. We snapped it 114 times against UW Oshkosh the week before. You know, our starting tailback's not going to be in there 114 times. So I think there's been a level of buy-in with our guys. Hey, maybe I'm not the starter, but I might be able to get 30 reps this week if I'm on, on my task for the week. And then lastly, uh, we're, we're ultra aggressive. Just it's changed how, how the game was called for us. You know, we went for it on fourth down 49 times. I mean, we we're really aggressive in how we call the game and that's just part of our philosophy. And you know, the, the branding side, the top gun side of it, it really stemmed from the pandemic because it was really hard to be a Division three football player in 2020. Mm-hmm. You had no games. There was a lot of uncertainty. You're not getting a full ride or anything like that at our level. So what do we do? And it's something I've thought about because in college coaching, we're all great recruiters. or We all want to be great recruiters. But are we recruiting our coaches? Are we recruiting our current roster? And I wanted it to be fun to be a part of our offense. So it's something we did, kind of took off. Our guys bought in to the top gun mentality where we're going to be aggressive. And we wanted to just every day you're a part of this offense, we want you to enjoy it because college football, our guys give so much to be a part of this thing. We want it to be fun for them. So that was something we did during the pandemic that I thought helped us and carried over to this season. I'd love to hear the story of how the branding came about. So for you guys, how, how did you become the top gun offense? Where did that idea start and how did you get it to catch fire? Well, it's funny, you know, I, I went to business school. I got my MBA. I have a marketing background. So just thinking about tempo teams and, and how, how we want to, how we want to play. And I, I think about the spaces our kids spend their time, right? Our guys are on their phones a ton. They just are. So a lot of us are spending our time making all these recruiting graphics. And I, you know, I, like I said, I thought about it because we were apart from each other during 2020 how can we message to our current roster and to our guys? Cause those are the guys we want to take care of and have a level of buy-in with too. So that, you know, that's where it really came from. And I'll, I'll be honest, you know, I had my hesitations because if you don't do well, it can be, Hey, the top gun offense can get grounded pretty quick. Right. And people <laughs> will poke fun at you. But I, I just thought the, the, it, it, the plus or the upside of it, was greater than that you know why why worry about what other people think when maybe it could have a positive influence on our our program and our kids so we just went for it we went all in of course our head coach is all in on us our defensive coordinators all in on it and that's so important too and that's the other thing I talk about is just the staff alignment and buy-in that that really means everything yeah I would say especially if as you mentioned, being a team that went for it on fourth down 49 times, um, I'm sure some of those were not in the most ideal places on the field. Certainly the the head coach has to give the green light for that, but also, you know, the defensive coordinator needs to be comfortable with, hey, we might not be in the best position here to start. So the mentality there, the philosophy, uh, how did that all come about? How did you guys work that out as a staff that, hey, this is going to be part of what we do? This program hadn't been 520 years we're in a really good league, you know, Wisconsin, Whitewater, Oshkosh, across these teams that that people maybe are familiar with nationally. It had been a while since there had been some success here. So we wanted to be a little bit different in terms of what other other teams do in our league. 
we felt like our recruiting was coming along and that we had depth. And one way we could take advantage of our depth, both, both offensively and defensively, was by going fast and doing it efficiently. And our DC, it's awesome because he's the one on the headset telling our head coach, go for it, go for it, because he's an offensive guy too. And he's bought in and, and really, like I said, coming together as a staff and aligning to, to get on the same page to go fast, it's so important. Because I think about, you know, as you hear coaches talk about the communication system, you know, I call it from up in the box. It's like, we go so fast because our head coach is bought in. Our communication system is not perfect, but we're really aligned in what we do. And we have a lot of conviction in what we do. And that allows us to really get that next plan so fast and really be aggressive. And that makes all the difference. If you, if you aren't aligned as a staff, it's never really going to happen that way. The tempo side of things in order to go fast. And you mentioned, you know, the, the communications, uh, those certainly have to be streamlined. And, and uh, if you're going to go fast, the call has to get in quick. You have somewhere between nine and 11 seconds, bef- be, you know, depending on a, on a, a crew uh, from, you know, the whistle to when that ball is set for play again. Uh, so for you, the thought process has to start pretty quick. You have to make decisions quickly. And the communication from upstairs uh, to the signalers onto the field has to be, uh, you know, very succinct as well. So how did you work those things out to an efficiency that's going to allow you to, as you say, get, you know, 117 snaps in per game? Yeah. You know, I, I think there are a lot, there's a lot of things that go into it. I mean, I think staff structure is really important and maybe as something that I look at a little bit differently because I think a lot of times when I get questions or hear questions, it's usually about the communication system. When I actually think that can be secondary, can you coach the mechanics every day in practice? You know, I heard you were talking to Coach Mazzoni about, you know, some teams running the film. They're watching, you know, we don't do that where, where they run the film the entire way through and you can see on film, I actually love the idea of it, but we were able to actively coach the mechanics of getting the ball back to the official, emphasizing the speed and tempo within practice every day. It's just our DNA. So what I mean about staff structure is our head coach is running the scout team. To have that level of buy-in where he's running the scout team, he understands what, our, our def- what the opponent's doing on defense – I mean, you talk about buy-in, you got those young scout team guys, that's the head coach running it with them. I mean, that sort of thing makes it go. We emphasize, you know, in our meeting time, breaking up our day so we can coach off the film versus coaching out on the field so that we can go fast. So I would attribute our staff buy-in and structure as a big part of that as well, just, just how we run things. And then the other thing, you want to run 117 plays, you better be efficient. So I, I think a lot of you know, what some of our success was last year was understanding our strengths. And it was just about, a, just as much about what we didn't do as what we did do. What's in the plan, what's not in the plan. Are we trying to force these kids to do something that's outside of their nature? Because we wanted to really leverage and maximize our strengths. And that, that's something we worked hard at as a staff in our evaluation. So from the mechanical perspective, running the mechanics of tempo, and, you know, knowing from having coached at the Division three level myself, you know, we didn't have budget. We didn't have officials out at practice. So how do you create that environment? 
which becomes more game like where your your players do get used to you know whatever your rules might be like hey you know you don't put the ball on the ground you're going to go hand it to the official etc we denote an official i'm i'm really coaching up the tempo as we go i'm controlling it with the whistle you know i thought that was another clever thing i heard too that we do almost intuitively is hey maybe you're ripping off an 80 yard run but it's more important to me to get lined up and get to the next the next play so we denote all those things i think where it's really hard at times is situationally on third down you know in the red zone at times getting that communicated when you when you maybe lack staff and 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 maybe you know like with us maybe your head signal has got COVID right there's it's something out of your control so we we always make sure our quarterbacks are on top of the signals we've kind of run the gamut of hey it's another Tuesday it maybe is week seven but we've got some new challenges than what we had on you know week four but our job as a staff is to make sure we create that environment somehow, some way for practice today to ensure our kids are ready to go. So we just had that mindset, but it definitely could be challenging. But at the same time, if you decide what you want to emphasize, you can get it done. You mentioned that this long period of not playing, you guys were able to take advantage of that. And we, we have had coaches on who or at least, uh, I don't know if I've recorded it and put it on there, but I've talked to coaches who definitely expressed that last spring, winter, whatever you wanted to call that season. There's so many challenges to that. They felt it would have been better just to be able to focus on themselves and practice. And you guys did have that situation at the Division three level, and you guys didn't have a season, but you were able to put a focus on yourself. So learning from that, whether – things change a little bit and give you more time in the spring later or not what did you take away from that approach that's going to help you in the future yeah well I think there are different components of it I mean first of all I I felt like our guys were maybe even refreshed in a way when when it's a full year of no games but you got to remember our guys are coming from different areas you know different backgrounds they have been going through a lot during this pandemic And, and for them to in any capacity find a way to get on the field again and do what they love. I I think it brought maybe a new uh, appreciation for what we get to do at this level and as a football program. But we started out, we were going early in the morning. It was dark out. It was cold. And we had four sessions where we split up our guys because we had to integrate everyone in due to the protocols at the time. We had four different practices consecutively. And and I think what it did that was interesting is there was a real foundation built, whether you were a freshman or a senior for the, you know, for the systems we were running offensively and defensively, you know, you're coaching differently. You're not running that many. You're not really doing team sessions as much. There really was a fundamental component that maybe we never had or sometimes skipped through that we had a lot of value in. We were able to teach the fundamentals with those smaller groups before we really got to that full team rep. And, and maybe there's something to that, and everyone's got their version of it. But that's one thing that stuck out to me while we were able to really hone in on some of those fundamental details for doing your job, uh, depending on your position. And then, you know, I just think at our level, the ability to have more flexibility just for our student athletes throughout the year and and it was because of COVID, but shoot, I almost feels like with how dynamic everyone's schedules are and hybrid classes and I I think there's some value in having 
schedule flexibility throughout the year for our guys because I just, like I said, I think it helps some of the student athletes and, and anything that's in the best interest for them is, is a good idea. Digging into the structure of your offense a little bit more and, and starting with the personnel and formation, how would you characterize what you guys look like out on the field? Yeah, from more of a football perspective, we're almost exclusively 11 personnel, a lot of on the ball, probably more on the ball tight end than most teams we broke down or saw. Uh, we will get the, off the ball and, you know, we can be in spread formations within 11. And just staying in that grouping obviously allows us to go fast. We're not, we're not personnel changing. We're not allowing the defense to sub out. And within our run game, we're running power, we're running front side pin and pull, inside zone in we're really downhill in our run game, and, and that's a big philosophy we have. And then our RPO game is gonna—it's gonna allow us to, to stretch the field laterally. It's gonna stretch the. It, so we don't really have a lot of schemed up runs to get to the edge. We're gonna RPO our way out there, and then we're looking for ways to stay efficient by using our personnel, and again, using the advantage of being aggressive. We really saw it as huge advantage to us. I mean, shoot, I could, I could flip on the tape and teams are in all these different coverages. Well, if they can't personnel change in the nickel, or if they can't do these different things they like to do, what's their comfort zone in all these different scenarios. We, we felt like we had that advantage. And, and you know, one thing I always say too, is I, I think coaches, and this is my opinion, of course, I think coaches sometimes miss. Yeah. There are those advantages to going fast, but defenses, I mean, they've been seeing this for a long time now. I mean, mm -hmm. you're not going to fool a defense by going fast anymore. Mm -mm. To me, the power is in our execution. I just believe we were able to execute at a higher level at our tempo. So we can execute at our tempo better than you can at our tempo. So how can they replicate? I mean, they're drawing it up on cards or go route or whatever they have. Can they replicate our tempo and execution? That That's what, you know, and our kids are confident that they can. So that's where our edge comes from, we believe. So I would agree with you, too. Early on, uh, the advantage just came from tempo. But defenses have caught up. They do a lot of the things that offenses do now, one-word calls, et cetera, uh, and they're able to co communicate more efficiently so that uh, they can do more. But when you look at some of the – remember back to the Chip Kelly Oregon days where you'd watch them and what they were doing, and sometimes – a whole bunch of people would be wrong on the on the execution side, but there was a bust in the defense, and the guys, you know, off for a big play. So uh, I think you've hit on something important there: the execution at a high tempo. And so, for you, what's the keys to coaching that up? Well, I think part of it's the emphasis, right? And and what do you want to have in? Why do you have it? And that's where you know, within a staff, you really can duke it out on the whiteboard and evaluations because. There's always a better play, and, and I, I try to de-emphasize the plays themselves at times and, and, and emphasize the philosophy and the personnel, if that makes sense. So how, how, can we, how can we attack with our personnel within our system? Because it's kind of that chicken and egg thing, right? Well, it's based on your personnel, but you still need to have a system. They're both important. So just balancing that relationship of getting the ball to the right guys – while still having enough scheme in to keep the defense honest. And, and it, it can be tough at times, and we get it wrong all the time, but that's, that's the tension that's always there, the natural tension within the staff is, do we need to add something? Are we doing the right things? And, you know, that's what we're all evaluating this time of year too. And, and it's going to change for next year. 
why I, I don't – we're an easy breakdown. You go through our cliffs, I mean, you're going to get what we're doing. But like I said, can, can you defend it and can you stop us with, with your personnel? In looking at the way you guys run the ball, because as I said, you guys were not 50-50, but pretty close as far as the – the yards in your run game and in your pass game. Now, do you attach an RPO to all of your runs, or are there some runs that are just run-only plays? Oh, there's always an RPO attached, always for us. And and it's interesting, you know, we're not striving for balance. And and I think the air raid guys talk about it a lot. I think it's a little different with us. We don't maybe have the exact same philosophy, but I always say, I, I put it this way. It's about applying pressure more so than it is about balance. So if you want to, you know, we have good defenses we face in this league every week. And, and, you know, is it more important to run the ball in Wisconsin? Is it more important to be dynamic in the pass game? Well, I mean, it's really both are important. And, and where I say applying pressure is we're very content to run it for 500 yards, right? If you're getting, if you're gashing up the middle, we'll do it all day, but, the reality is these teams are too good. You have to have a level of balance in order to fully attack attack the defense. So it's more out of necessity than it is any sort of premeditated, boy, I hope we get this many yards passing. It, it really just naturally happens because of, like I, I put it that way, I, I, hey, we have to apply pressure in different areas in order, in order to keep them honest. Now, you had mentioned the blocking before on the perimeter, and I know you coached the wide receivers in this past season I worked with a a wide receiver just film work uh, a lot of zoom work where we were looking you know week to week and talk about the game plan and look at the things he was doing in the game and and I think it's a very undercoached part of the game especially when you get into the RPOs is the transition from being a, a potential receiver on a play into being a blocker and I know that was something early on when I started working with as a high school receiver showing them, look look what would have happened here if you'd have saw balls not to you and you immediately transitioned into a blocker instead of watching the play for a couple seconds and then trying to do something. Look look where your path would have taken you and look what you might have done to spring this play. So for you, keys to coaching up, especially in the RPO, the transition from receiver to blocker. Yeah, it's just it's so important for us. And that's why I love coaching this position and and coordinating at the same time. So, like I said, it's about what you emphasize. I think so much of it is just belief in toughness and getting buy-in within the room. You know, we always talk about being a boxer, active hands, active feet. These are not knockout shots. That's where the refs love to throw the flags out on the perimeter. They're always watching. So we work it a ton. We work it every day. We're doing a blocking progression. We're working our hands and feet. And it's, it's, it's funny. We had an All-American tight end, and he was 255 pounds, and he's ultra-athletic. And he had to work it, too, because it's just it's different out on the perimeter. Those are difficult blocks. So we talk more about, hey, a good boxer, yeah, you have a handful out there that can knock someone out in round one, those, those heavyweight guys. There are a couple of them out there. You've got to be the featherweight. You've got to work it all 12 rounds. You've got to finish that block. And it, it, like I said, it's something we emphasize and believe in because I just think we're unsound if we can't distribute the ball out there. We don't have enough hats in our 11 personnel run game 
unless we can we can get the ball out in the perimeter. So it, it's something we we work on a ton, and it, it, like I said, it's something we strive to have a lot of buy-in with our guys. Hey, if I'm helping out my teammate, I'm getting the ball the next time, you know. And we have the the different RPOs where our guys are our guys are blocking for each other. And, and you're, you're blocking for your brother on the perimeter. So it's something, like I said, we, we definitely emphasize that part of it. Now, are there any you know, certain drills? You, know, you Look, there were, especially before the RPO, uh, a lot of traditional drills. Everybody used them. Here's my progression for teaching how to block, et cetera. Anything you do now that you know, takes into account you know, the different angles, the different spaces you're going to need to get to to make some of those blocks? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, just simply put, you know, we're going to work our hands and our feet and our punch, and we'll, we'll do a rapid-fire punch here where we're correcting tight elbows, thumbs up, all those types of things, striking in the chest, uh, everything we want to emphasize, and, and we're going to do it for a while. That, that's the key. We're not punching one time. I'm going to burn their feet up a little bit because these blocks, they, they're hard to hold on to. So we're trying to, we're trying to train the body to get used to how these blocks can go. And then we'll progress. We'll do a leverage drill where we're actually going to have that partner back up. We're going to send them on different angles. And then, you know, we're going to describe a concept where, where you need to block and, and get leverage on the defender. And we'll work that at, you know, lower speeds at first. And then, uh, you know, I, I've seen people call it millennial Oklahoma. We love, we call it perimeter drill here. We love going up against our defense and you cannot replicate it because, and I always tell our guys, you think you have that block, but guess what the defense is working on every day? They're working on getting their hands into you and shedding right when the ball gets there. So they trick you or lull you to sleep. They let you think you have the block, and then they're defeating you right at, you know, right on their time, right on their watch when they want to to make that play. So just that good on good is really hard to replicate, and we love doing it, and, and we work it hard, and we coach it really hard here. We coach it hard. We get after guys, and it's really physical – and it's something you can do in just shells. You don't have to be full padded up or anything like that. You can get great work in just in shells doing that. To have an offense that puts up points like you do and, and gains yards like you do, uh, the explosives are going to be an important part of it, right, moving that ball down the field. So uh, for you, how do you find those opportunities for explosive and, you know, looking back at this past year, where – what was a, I guess, a, a dominant concept for you that really produced some of those? Well, I think being great up front, being physical up front, really opened everything else up for us. If you could count on, because I thought, you know, there are different trends. When you're talking about explosives, to me, a lot of it within what we do is about the defensive structure we're seeing. And the trend this year within at least our area or our conference, when we break down teams and, you know, you could get into different things about how you're calling a game, but teams were matching our perimeter numbers. They were going to structure their defensive shell to match our numbers in the RPO game more often than not and dare you to run it. We had to prove we could do that. So I know, you know, we're talking about explosives. It's not, and, and that's how it works in this sort of offense. It's not some magic trick play that you schemed up. It's not this great pass concept you dreamed up because you're such a smart coach. It's because we were able to play fast and run power. You know, it's, it's those basic plays that become the explosives. And, and our guys are bought into that part of it. So, oh, it's not like, oh, man, I really hope Coach is smart enough to out-scheme these guys. I can guarantee you I am not. We just have a buy-in within our culture to, to play fast and, and to be physical. With the, the fourth downs, and, you know, you guys said you went for it 49 
times this year. Does that become a section of your game planning, or are you just carrying over maybe some of the things you have on the third down for those situations? It's interesting because if you're in a field zone or, or if you're able to stay efficient and play the way we wanted to play, it changes your it changes your down and distance, right? Because third down can now be second down. And if third down, second down, maybe you can take a shot on third and short. Maybe you could, you know, it really opens things up for you. So, you know, for us, yeah, just kind of slid it down to, to fourth down and down in distance. But it, it's just like anything. I, that's why I, I, I listen to the analytics debates that go on at times. And I think the one thing that is sometimes missing, right, how many times should you throw it? How many times should you do this? How many times should you go for it? Well, you better understand your personnel and what, what you're able to execute with that group against what you're seeing. I, I just think that context is lost a lot of times. So for us, I, I, I don't want to simplify the answer. I, a lot of it has to do with what we're able, what we think our advantage is against sure. that team, right? And what kind of schemes and structure we're seeing. So I, I think uh, I, I know that's kind of a a non-answer, but it, it, you know, for fourth down calls it just becomes third down. Yeah, it really does. And it, and then third down can be a shot down or it can be a way to get some yardage back. So you can get to some of those more comfortable calls against the looks you're getting. Yeah. Well, and for you, I'm sure it's important to know at, at some point in that series early, whether that's you know first down or second down that you do have that fourth down. Cause it does change the mentality. I know, you know, in talking to different coaches, if they know they got fourth down, you know, one of those first three downs is going to be a shot play, right? If they don't convert, end up to fourth, yeah, they end up in that that whatever a third down situation might be. So for you guys, what's the process or how are you able to know that you are going to have four downs so you can kind of account for that as a play caller? I think we went into every game where our head coach, you know, he had a field zone and a down and distance. So the further you go down in the field, uh, the longer the down and distance you could go for potentially right you know if you're if you're on your own 35 it better be fourth and one if you're if you're on the other end of the field maybe you'll go for it on fourth and 11 right uh so so there is that but i I mean honestly i think it, it happened within the context of the game the one thing i will say that maybe would give some insight in our style of play or, or the thought process is the few times we blinked and it just happens naturally it's going to happen where you know, maybe maybe we thought we were going to go for it and we decided not to or, or fight and then decided we should or we took a timeout or the other team took a timeout. Anytime we blinked and got out of our flow of the game, those are the times we got stopped. That, that's something I just observed looking back on the year. And we were, you know, at 69% for our fourth downs, which is pretty good. Those times we weren't going without hesitation where the times we got stopped. It's, it's just something I think about in the context of, hey, being that aggressive and going for it. Now, do you guys base any of these decisions, you know, whether it's game planning before or on the field? I mean, there's a number of tools. You know, some people have the the championship analytics book. I know that usually the, the cost of that is prohibitive uh, at the Division three level, but there's other things out there. Is there anything you guys use to uh, determine – you know, the, the go for it, uh, whether that's fourth down or go for two or any of those situations. No, I think it's a lot like the tempo thing. Like tempo thing's great when you, 
when you're moving the ball and scoring, right? Just like going out, going for it on fourth down is awesome when you're getting getting it, right? So I, I think we we proved we could stress defenses. We proved to teams we could grind it out and run the football, and and we were able to prove we could convert a lot of these downs. And as we went, it was critical in getting us to the postseason. I, I believe that just our our buying and ability to do it was critical. So uh, no, no special analytics, nothing like that. Just just proven results with, with the group we had out there. In in looking at what people are trying to do to you, and I, I know this always varies from conference to conference, but you know, did you see anything trending as far as especially from the tempo perspective on, on how teams might try to stop you or ways they are trying to combat you guys going fast and using tempo as a weapon? Yeah, I think, you know, one trend I, I told you, I think the first thing we got really good at was our perimeter RPOs and perimeter blocking. So one trend we saw is teams were going to match your numbers. Teams were going to try and knife corners and make it hard, and, and they're going to play uh, play half-field coverages, 4-2-5 coverages to match those numbers. And to me, to develop – the ability to be physical at the point of attack and run the football, it's unmatched when it, when it comes to tempo football, in my opinion. If you can run it, uh, you're going ha- like, to have success because it's too hard to defend everything. It, it's a lot to defend. The other thing, you know, trend-wise, I think simulated pressures are big right now. Guys are going to try and get you to, you know, ID and slide a certain way, not bring in, you know, all those types of issues up front within especially you know five-man protections can we get you to slide out to someone wide and let someone go up the pipe you know all those types of things I think defensive coordinators are getting very creative and walk almost like the old a-gap pressures everyone used to walk up mm-hmm. just in different ways we, we saw that as a trend I think we were able to keep teams out of that so hey what are the downs where they can do that starting a series right or, or if you're going to hesitate on third down, so you better not hesitate on third down, and you better start the series with some movement or motion to try and combat that. That, that was our philosophy. You better fight back at some of those looks they give you because they are challenging for the guys up front, especially when your communication system's not easy going fast. That's a good point. Definitely the, the sims are something you've seen become a big part of things, and yeah, they're, they're trying to screw up your protections or your, your blocking scheme. You've mentioned being simple. So just from that perspective and in, in being able to handle it, what are some of the keys for you guys that you're not burdening, overburdening your offensive line that now the Sims are getting them to slow down and, you know, obviously that's not what you guys do? Well, you know, I think the more RPO base for those guys you can be in the tempo offense, the better. and You can be more or less aggressive with it. You know, you look at, some of the more innovative teams in the country, like a, like a wake forest with that long mesh, some of the things they're doing, we played around with changing, uh, changing our aiming point, changing our emphasis to something maybe more laterally, right? So that we can get more pass game out of our run game so that we're not asking them to be setting or be defensive within what we're doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's maybe the biggest thing we've done for those guys is how about we just run? I mean, those guys love running football. How about we just keep doing that and just keep that mentality? Well, I love it. Well, Coach, you shared a lot of great things here today and finish things up. When you look at all the things you do as the coach, whether it's on the field, off the field, in the classroom, what's the one thing you'd say you do that gives your players the winning edge? 
I think without a doubt, it's consistency. If you can consistently preach the same values, if you can consistently be there for those guys, they'll give consistent performance. I, I believe that. I think that's what our business is all about is hopefully we're training these young men to be consistent in whatever they train, you know, whatever they choose to do. And I, I think that's, that's one of the best values we can provide. For our listeners out there who want to learn more about what you do or connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Well, I would say probably on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Coach Math. Uh, I try to respond to everything I can. I know it can be crazy this time with recruiting and everything flying around. Uh, I also got email at joseph.matheson, M-A-T-H-E-S-O-N, at uwrf.edu as another, uh, another avenue. Coach, it was great to talk ball with you here today on the podcast. I look forward to, uh, you know, hopefully seeing you here at the AFCA in San Antonio. And best of luck to you and the Falcons in 2022. Absolutely, Keith. Thanks so much for having me on. Like I said, I I listen all the time.